Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, well, well. What's up, everybody? <clears throat> Welcome to Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. I am Travis. At the moment, I'm rolling solo. I'm actually surprised not to see anybody has uh, rang up the line yet. Uh, and shortly, I'll be joined by Blake, Johnny Trevisani, I hope I pronounced that correctly, and Vic, of course, who is Philpot drunk currently at a casino. Um, that's his commitment to you all. I think he uh, about got run over by a golf cart a few moments ago. So hopefully he uh, makes it on. But uh, tonight is a, a special night, number one, because I just did a podcast like two days ago, which was uh, Starved Rock Revisited. We talked about the Starved Rock murders again. Um, we talked to uh, uh, Hunter James Cox about his documentary on the Starved Rock murders. Uh, still incomplete documentary. He's still working on that. But I apologize for my drunkenness. You can go on YouTube and watch his documentary right now and check it out. And Blake and Vic are calling in at the same time. You fellas are together. I don't like it. Hang on. They're but they're getting logged in, so I'll let them say hello too. Ah, Blake what here the first. What's up, up, Blake? What's up, fellas? What's up? I'm drunk. Well, that's what I thought. And and Blake's here and I doubt he's drunk. You're not drunk? Blake, drink. He's just gonna sit here and not talk to us. <laughs> he's not having this life. He, he, tagged me. he figured he out. Tag me. He figured out you're a drunk, and he wasn't having that shit. I understand. I've seen a lot of people on Philpot drunk, so I understand. But mainly the Asians. I do offend the Asians, especially when it's on YouTube. They get upset. They send me like fucking death messages from the yakuza and shit. Yakuza, what? <laughs> With the fucking slanted eyes asshole. and all that bullshit. Jesus. They got fucking slanted eyes and they can't even look at me straight. Oh, here we go. Oh, here fuck. we go. God I'm damn. Down. What are you drinking tonight, uh, buddy? I had five Washington apples. Five? Five. Good Lord. No wonder you're not fucking full capacity. I think they, they like, quit putting uh, all the bullshit in it and, like, they're giving me straight crown and, like, putting, mm. like, red food coloring in it or some bullshit. <laughs> Nice. Man, I miss uh, Washington Apple. I haven't had one in a while. You need to. You can drink, you can drink those, right? Yes. Should be. Yeah. I'm going to have to get you out to the bar with me one night. We'll just go drink Washington Apples for like five hours straight. Hell yeah. Blake, are you here, you buddy? Okay. Blake. Hmm. Is he on the line? Does his phone number show up? It says North, Northern Middle Tennessee, so I just assume it's him, but maybe he's not here. Ah. Somebody else here? Lisa? It would have to be, Blake. Nobody else lives in Northern Middle Tennessee State. That's what I thought. <laughs> maybe Northern it's like away from phone State. coverage. He does live like out in Bumfuck, Nashville somewhere, like on the outskirts. Hello, I do not maybe. live in Bumfuck, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> on the, the, the outskirts. He showed up to defend himself. 
<laughs> no, it's my headset's acting up. I got to go buy another uh, headset here soon. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Uh, the the kids steal mine to play PS4, so uh, I steal it back do. whenever it's showtime. Just buy them some earbuds from Five Below. They can use those on the PS4. Really? Kind of sh- shameless yeah, plug. Yeah, that's what I use. <laughs> there you go. That's that's smart. Uh, Blake, uh, what we said earlier is uh, we assume you're not drinking. However, I'm drinking gumption, hard cider. I'm pretty excited about it, Vic. That's what I drink Sunday. Uh, after, no, before and then after the Star <laughs> Rock uh, uh, Revisited <laughs> podcast. And then we had uh, Margarita, too. You had a Corona. Oh, I've, got some, uh, I've got some Coke. As in Coca-Cola. Okay, let me fix that. Blake does cocaine before shows. He's He's trying to to step the game up. He's raising the bar. Blake Mm -hmm. thinks it's the 70s and 80s. He's getting on with it. I mean, well, you know, it's the Berkowitz time, so he's he's trying to get with the program. You know what I mean? I got the the porn stash and everything. I'm rocking it. Oh, yes. Very good. (laughs) You got the Jufro going? Yes, I have the Jufro going. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so, guys, I want to tell you, the first time I ever ter- heard of uh, Son of Sam or David Berkowitz was when I watched my cousin Vinny as a little kid, and, and he's talking to the judge, and the judge is like, well, have you ever done, you know, uh, any criminal work before? And he's like, you remember Son of Sam? You mean the guy that's two quarters from a dog? <laughs> and he was like, uh, I defended the first guy. <laughs> he got, And they let him off. You guys remember that movie? Yes. Hell yeah, I love that movie. So that was the first time I ever heard of Son of Sam. Johnny's on the line. What's up, Johnny? Hey, man. How's it going? How's everything out in Pennsylvania? Everything is actually beautiful out in Pennsylvania. It's a wonderful time of of the of the uh, wonderful weather out at this time. So I'm digging it. How about you? Must be nice. It's hot as fuck here. Yeah, it's hot as fuck. Yeah, but you know we get cold, and so I can dig the I can totally dig the hot rather than the than that. It's sort of like the summer of Sam, right? When it was that fucking hot, right? So well, that's why we had to do it in July. I told Vic this for a long time. I wouldn't do it in Son of Sam any other time, but in the summer. So it works out. We got it working here. By the way, is it Philly or where are you in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I'm just outside of Philly. Fuck outside yeah, in, in the in the burbs. I hate Philly and I love it all at the same time. You know what I mean? Philly, you know, Philly gets a bad rep only because it, you know, he threw snowballs at, at Santa. But you know, I'm okay with he that. Had a, he had it coming, <laughs> really. I mean, you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> look, you guys hate the Cowboys, and I'm good with that. So you know, right. I'll never have a problem with you with that. And you guys have great Philly cheesesteak, and Vic uh, adores yeah. that. So yes, I got a Philly cheesesteak right now, actually. Two things That's that awesome. redeem Philly, man. It's the Philly cheesesteak and the pretzel, the soft pretzel. The two things. So, Tony mm. Cook is my favorite restaurant ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I just uh, mentioned whenever I first heard of Son of Sam, I was God. I don't even know when I saw my cousin Benny. I was young though. I was born in '82, and I don't know whenever it came out. I saw it on VHS almost immediately after it came out because my brother and dad saw it in the theater. Anyway, Johnny, do you remember the first time you heard of Son of Sam? Yeah, I was, yeah, I was alive, and I was. Um, I don't really remember any of the brouhaha around that, um, mm-hmm. but I read it later on in the '80s. So I read about it in the '80s, and and it was a big thing because, um, 
when whenever a new serial killer came out, they referenced um, Son of Sam because it was kind of crazy, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm from Philly, so it's it's East Coast. And during the '70s, during that time in 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 New York was a pretty crazy time, right? I mean, there was the '70s in New York, and it was like taxi driver, you know, was a it was an ugly New York at that time. To have serial, to have a serial killer running around pretty much made sense, but mm-hmm. it didn't really it didn't really add to the to the living experience in New York, I guess, right? Well, it's funny because um, like New York, I mean they they really portray that well in Summer of Sam. I watched that a couple of days ago just in preparation for this, just because. I mean, shit, I like the movie, but, you know, on top of that, it's always good to watch whatever film is out there that's on it, and I watched a couple of them, um, and and this, and this that was one of them, and it just kind of tells yeah. you what New York was like at the time, so it made perfect sense. I mean, shit, New York was that way up until almost the 90s, so... Well, honestly, honestly, I thought, because I saw Summer of Sam, but 70s-style New York at that time was brutal. I mean... You take De Niro's Taxi Driver, which is a good example of seventies. That disgusting. It was just brutally bad. Like, you know, it was awful. And and I thought that Summer of Sam actually sort of portrayed it as kind of okay, <laughs> like glossy at times and fun. But I, I don't think that most of New York um, was was as as nice as that. It was it was pretty seedy. It was a pretty seedy thing. And I think that's what he was he was railing about, David Berkowitz. You know. He hated the seediness of, or at least at that time, he hated the seediness of uh, of New York. I could see that absolutely. What about you, Blake? I think you're the youngest among us. I probably am. Uh, I think the first time I saw anything about uh, Berkowitz was a magazine that I had when I was really young. I don't know how I ended up with a serial killer magazine, but I had one, and he was in there with Ted Bundy. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, you know, going postal, I used to think that's where they got it from was because he was a letter opener for the postal service, but apparently that come later. But that's sort of my first thought of him was, so that must be where going postal came from, you know? (laughs) That's what I always thought, too. You know, when I always heard he was a postal worker, but, you know, he didn't pull out a gun and shoot everybody in the post office, so apparently that was not him. But I I guess it just goes with the stereotype. Vic, what about you, fella? Um... I kind of remember, like, always hearing, like, Son of Sam, Son of Sam, but probably whenever I really first heard about him was, you know, my cousin Vinny, like yourself, and then I had a serial killer encyclopedia that had a uh, a big uh, thing on him when I was in, like, eighth grade, maybe. So, like, that's when I really started studying all serial killers, and I used to carry that around, and I got, like, suspended for it, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's probably like like I said, I've always heard about him, but it's probably my cousin Benny where I would give the credit to. Uh, I hate to put it this way, but I really don't. I mean, he took place in the golden age of serial killers. There's no other way to describe it. Think about <laughs> it. You had Bundy, you had Gacy, you had Berkowitz. It's not too far removed from you know Zodiac's crime spree. So I mean, this is a this is a time period that Green well, River and the yeah. Green River and stuff. So yeah, yeah, I can see that, but. There, there is a frame of reference where people think that it's just being reported as serial killers at that time because there's more, there's more notoriety to it. But you know, you can go back. Starkweather was, you know, how many movies have been making made about Starkweather, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
So I don't know, but I get your point. It, it is a it is a golden age for um, for uh, I don't know the 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 modern manifestation of what of what serial killers are, right? So you have all of those wonderful. Um, I shouldn't say wonderful. Really, I should stop. I, I shouldn't say wonderful. Um, all those notable. <laughs> <It's okay>. uh, <laughs> there's notable serial killers, um, but you know. When you think of Ed Gein, Ed Gein is pretty much the key. One of the ones who was made in so many different in, in different uh, versions and films, right? So, Son of Sam was was had all of the aspects of of all the serial killers out there, right? So, he had a theme, and he had uh, a timeline, um, and uh, he was kind of psycho. So he really wasn't really with it. I mean, like he was in the service for for three years, right? And, mm-hmm. and when you did research on him, I'm sure you, you found that like there really wasn't any, he, he went through, he went through it fine. There wasn't, they didn't see any problems with him while, while he was in service. There, no one was, there, some people said, Oh, he's kind of weird to hang out with, but there wasn't any incidents, which is kind of interesting, right? Like with other serial killers, there was incidents. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? You you are right. You said exactly what I was about to say. And, and Blake, you know, he does research on serial killers. I'm sure he'll agree with me and he'll agree with you, is that if you look at um, Son of Sam or David Berkowitz, he, well, let's just say he was born Richard David Falco. He was, you know, adopted, and that's my Bundy connection right there. Although Bundy wasn't necessarily adopted, but, you know, didn't know – you know, the whole deal about his, nope. you know, where he came from and all that shit. And I think that messes with you on some level. I know um, Berkowitz yeah. knew he was adopted at like the age of seven or nine yep. or something like that. But, yeah. you know, it, it plays a part. Not that I'm blaming it at all. But, you I know, mean, okay, Bundy, so Berkowitz, go ahead. I mean, uh, not to cut you, I mean, Bundy, you know, that's a really fucked up story to, to think that your mother is your sister, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, that's a really fucked up story. So, I mean, Berkowitz was, yes, he was adopted, but his whole story was what his mother, his actual birth mother cheated and, and had a kid with the married father, mother married guy that she was headed an affair with. And then she gave him up for adoption. Right. So that, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. I mean, I don't doubt, I don't doubt that, but, um, um, I don't know. Broken family. Sure. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then, all right, well, he was adopted by Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz at two weeks old. So then that's when he was renamed David Richard Berkowitz, and uh, he was their only child. So, like, they they treated him. I mean, he was spoiled, I'm sure. But, okay, so the parallels that I was thinking about with the other killers is, you know, uh, Dahmer served in the service, so did he. Uh, Mm -hmm. Zodiac, well, I mean, I know he used the knife a couple times, but the whole shooting couples and cars thing. Well, he did that on the 4th of July mm-hmm. around that time, mm-hmm. uh, writing to the police. I mean, that's, that's Zodiac right. and, and Jack the Ripper. Yep. So, I mean, this guy had a lot of parallels and, and let me throw something back real quick. We haven't talked about a lot of serial killers that have used a gun because not many of them that are really well known in this golden age of serial killer did. You had, you know, I guess because it was messy. Because it was, it was personal. Right, I mean, yeah. it was more personal yeah. to get up and up and and use knives and strangle and stuff like that, and it, because it was a personal relationship with their, with with whomever they're killing. But you're right, guns were not as 
uh, especially in modern time, they weren't used as, as much. Um, you know, you can go back further and you can go to like Panzram who used guns, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Blake, talk a little bit about uh, some of the parallels that we were throwing out there. Do you have some others that you can uh, kick towards us a little bit for uh, Berkowitz here? Well, yeah, I mean, we had arson at a young age. He's not the mm-hmm. first serial killer to, you know, kind of, you know, explore arson. And then, you know, like you said, he found out that he was adopted when he was like six. I watched some stuff on him today. He did a live interview from prison, I guess, a couple of years ago. It's on YouTube in like 10 parts. It's like, I don't know, an hour or two long. And it's really, uh, it's really good. But, you know, it was that. There was, um, the interest in the occult, which he shares with Ramirez, which we talked about Ramirez last week, uh, and that guy that visited him on death row and his opinion of uh, Berkowitz, you know, we talked about that. But, uh, yeah, there was that. There was um, the military thing, like you said. And then it was, for whatever reason, he shared it with the Zodiac. It was like most of the victims were intended to be female from, you know, all appearances, you know. I mean, Good point, and the guys were kind of just a, uh, you know, a, I don't know, they, they're not like, you know, friendly fire or anything, but, you know, it was just like, oh, well, you're there, you get to die. Right, and, and they targeted big cities. H.H. H. Holmes hit Chicago, you know, and there was rumors he had some, some, some unsubstantiated kills in New York, and then you had Albert Fish in New York, and then you had David Berkowitz in New York, and, and, and you know, Zodiac was in a you know, Vallejo, California, so they all targeted big cities, you know, bustling, busy cities. Whitechapel, oh, you know, yeah. I was going to agree with you, actually. There was one other thing, you know, we always talk about the trinity that they look for in serial killers as kids. They look for the, the bedwet or their, you know, the bedwetting, the animal torture, the arson. There was also the head injury they always looked for, and he had multiple head injuries as a kid. Now, we don't know if that messed him up. I mean, obviously, he got into the military just fine, like Johnny said. But that's another one of those things that they always look for with these guys. But who the hell knows if that has anything to do with what he became, right? Right. And I always say, I always say these serial killers have a weird, like, even if they're not, like, sex criminals, they have some sort of a weird, I don't know, sexual perversion about them. And this guy was, like, masturbating at the age of nine. That's a little odd to me. I find it to me. I, I don't know. There are some other strange things, like him taking showers with his dad at six, that I find pretty weird. I, I don't know. I think I might murder some people if I was <laughs> having to do that. I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 wow! I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying that's that's pretty messed up. But uh, yeah, I'm apparently he was he was teased a lot as a kid because of the adoption, which I think's fucked up. You know, it's like this kid had I don't know. Look, I know kids will make fun of anything, but it's like why would you make fun of a kid because he's adopted? Like he can help that. It reminded me of Halloween Four, Blake. Oh yeah. Jamie, he's an orphan. Yeah, Jamie's mommy's a mummy. I'm like, you're a yeah. asshole. Oh, like that is so <laughs> fucked up. Exactly. But uh, yeah, um, Johnny, talk about some of the things that you know in his childhood that you've read about or anything like that. Because you know we talked about some of the stuff here, but again, I don't know that any one particular thing would create a serial killer. You know, it's not the type of thing that you'd say. There it is. I'm always like I'm always said. sort of drawn to the little things that are kind of you know like yeah. He was into, you know, stealing and 
pyromania and all that kind of stuff. But I like the fact that he was a good baseball player. Like he was, a, he was really into baseball. I think Strong that's kind of cool. cool. Right? I mean, that means he could, he had good hand-eye coordination. He could aim well, you know, that came in later, came in handy later, I guess. Right. I mean, it's those things, those things I think that connect them to society. And that's what kind of is an interesting thing. There's, there's serial killers that, um, that were good ballroom dancers, you know, that were good deacons and, you know, like they had connections to, to society in a, in a, in a, an acceptable way. His was baseball. You know, he was, he was actually a, 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 like they, they, he was a good baseball player. I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> well, speaking of little things like that, like he had, I don't know how much people have talked about this in the past, but he actually saw two different people die as a kid. I mean, like saw it happen. He saw, um, you know, a boy die from falling from the side of a bus when he was a kid. And then, mm-hmm. um, Around that same time period, between 10 and 14, he actually, um, uh, there was something else, too. He, I, I'm trying to think of what it was. He, he saw, his, I think his mother was a, died I, from breast cancer. You think he was witness to some of the effects of that? Yeah. Actually, he saw a girl and her mother die instantly after being hit by a car. And this is around age 10 also. So this is the formative years where you're really, you know, kind of forming everything. And that's what he sees. So, I don't know. It, and... By the way, if you watch A and E biography, they talk about how he was tormented by horror movies he would watch, and I just think that's such bullshit. They always try to blame stuff like that. Uh, he claimed he, monsters yeah. were bothering him, but kids always say shit like that. Well, no, he said that he had a morbid fascination with uh, the 1968 film Rosemary's Baby, and that's sort of what right. led to his interest into dabbling in the occult. In the occult, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is a big mistake. I mean, if you listen to him talk now, I listened to him for about an hour today. He uh. The son of hope. Yeah, he really, no, I mean, I, I'm i going to put it to you this way, and then I'll leave it alone. I grew up a Christian, you know, was raised Christian, and, you know, had Christian, you know, uh, church, and, and a very religious upbringing as far as, you know, believing in something. He legitimately sounds like to me that he honestly believes that it's not like something he's trying to use to get sympathy for people because he said he said i grew up i had head injuries i had a really rough upbringing that's no excuse for what i did but i think that can help contribute to my already poor mental development i mean he's very cognizant of what he is and i mean he was diagnosed later in life with add and hyperactivity disorder which back then if you were if you had that they just thought you was just an unruly child they didn't think anything of it like they do now, like, you know, now there's a, something in the DSM manual for everything. I mean, tree hugging's probably in there, for Christ's sake, you know, it's, there's, there's <laughs> something for, there's something for everything, and, you know, like you said, he had some head injuries, he was hit by a car, uh, and walked away from it when he was real young, about nine or ten, and I think a combination of the head injuries and then the dabbling in the occult, because he really honestly believes that he tapped into something he shouldn't have, which speaks to a lot of the horror movie stuff. When I went and saw Ouija, I immediately thought of him. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of cool to think about, in a morbid way, of course, that dabbling into something might have accidentally opened a door you didn't mean to step through, and then it completely wreaks havoc on your life. But... 
he, you know, he seems very thoughtful about what he did. I mean, he's written books since he's been in prison. Their website, I watched the videos on, is his. And he makes no money off of it, but he uploads his, his diary journals and stuff there. He's got internet access, which speaks to taxpayers and what we're really paying for here, you know. Uh, I'm surprised he doesn't have a Facebook. <laughs> but, you know, it just it's, it's weird, man. It's just it's weird, the whole occult thing and then, he was the opposite of most serial killers. I mean, most of them tried to infiltrate society being well-to-do, like H.H. Holmes, like, you know, Albert Fish at times, and and some of the others. But he started out, you know, kind of middle-of-the-road, sort of, what, the son, adopted son of, what, uh, hardware store owners that were, like, just medium-income people, just regular, average American, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and they were middle and, of America. Let's not forget the the trinity that we had talked about earlier about the animals. I didn't mention this yet, but at the age of 13 or so, he killed his mom's parakeet because apparently he wasn't getting enough attention and the parakeet was. So I don't know. That just goes into the the whole thing about you start seeing these warning signs and something's probably up with them, you know? It's true. I mean, there there are distinct warning signs to pretty much every serial killer and it's hindsight's 2020 i mean you know Dahmer or or, um, or kemper you know he killed cats and dogs in the neighborhood and people just didn't really think that much of it for some reason some weird reason and and for for berkowitz it was the same thing like you think that that might be an indicator you know what you want me to get him to look at a little bit mm-hmm. but they, back then they didn't do that right so Apparently, they didn't know he killed the parakeet either. He was sneaky about it, so I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I, 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 Johnny, how much do you think that, you know, remember when he was 14, his adoptive mother, Pearl, she died from breast cancer. But before she, you know, uh, before he found out she was dying and she quickly died, you know, he kind of told her he hated her. And, like, I think she died not knowing, you know, whether he loved her or not. I mean, that's got to plague somebody's mind, too, right? It's got to plague. It's got to be disturbing it at the at the least i mean i know that one of his his um one of his letters even though they misspelled it but he you know he said that he was disturbed by the fact that they called him a woman hater right mm-hmm. and and that they try to draw back that he hated women and he was very disturbed by that he was just saying no he was disturbed you know he was a monster he would call himself a monster right beelzebub but um i don't i really don't think that he had the hatred for women as people suspect he did um mm-hmm. and and you can link back hatred to women with a number of serial killers like bundy and you know bundy was a perfect example where you know he hated his he hated his mother he hated his his, his girlfriend and they were all kind of similar um kemper had a similar type of thing but i don't think that was the case with with berkowitz i mean i think that um i don't think that was what would Drew him. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's what um, um, drew him to killing women. I mean, he talked about that in an interview that I saw. He did an interview a while ago, a long time ago, with with um, um, uh, what's his face? Um, he was on CNN. I can't remember his name. Um, Not Larry uh, King, was it? Yeah, Larry King. Yeah, yeah, Larry oh, okay. King. He did an interview with Larry King, 
in like 99 or around 2000 or so. And he talked about that and he was, he was, he was very, you know, like he didn't, he was, he was talking about how he thought he he didn't hate women or that he, he, you know, he, he spoke kind of, um, um, I don't know, positively toward his, Mm -hmm. his uh, parents, you know? So I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Who knows really what's in their mind. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, I guess it's the unfinished business aspect of it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what to think beyond that. Um, But, uh, so, all right. So, around that time, okay, so when he's 14 or so, you know, that's when Pearl dies. It screws with him a little bit. And in school, he starts missing a lot of school. Now, he sucked. He was truant before that. But in school, even though he ended up with a 3.3 GPA before it was all said and done, dude was missing a lot of school. It's like, I mean, I guess I mean, his dad married whenever he was 17, so maybe that helped him a little bit, but even though he was unhappy about the marriage, I don't know. I mean, this is another one of those situations, like, yeah, divorce you can, the, can you, toy you, with him. I mean, it's not divorce, it's widowing, but you know what I mean. He joined the the Army right after his, his dad got married, like within a year, right? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that he, you know, so I don't know if one could draw a conclusion that he was just trying to escape that, but or you know, as soon as he turned eighteen, at the time of Vietnam War, he joined the army, which is kind of interesting, right? There was not too many people joining the <laughs> joining the army during that time, and but he did, and and maybe that was to escape that particular situation. Who knows? Yeah, he wanted to die in Vietnam. Blake, have you ever heard about that? I mean, I know they talked about it in biography. Like, he fantasized about stuff like that, like he dying a hero type thing. Blake, are you still there, or is your headset fucking with you? I'm still here. Um, sorry, I was trying my other headset. Apparently, it's for shit, too, so uh, I want to <laughs> go back to the standard communication here without the headset. But, yeah, I've heard that, and I think he, he sort of his paranoid delusion sort of led him to feel the same way when he was a younger uh, teenager pre-Army because he used to all the time fantasize then about jumping in front of subway cars and trains and all that, and I think they're dying a hero this is going to sound cheesy, but it's coming for me, and it's a film reference. You have to let, you have to let me do it. It's almost like paraphrasing Aaron Eckhart or, or Christian Bale. You either become a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself. You die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And I think that was his mindset. He wanted to die before he could do this horrible shit, because he knew. I think he was on a like a predestined road to destruction. Honestly, I mean, think about it. Think, think about all the shit that happened to him, and then up to age 14, he experienced more by 14 than most of us did probably by 20, 25, you know, and the deaths in front of him multiple times, the head injuries, um, finding out he was adopted, believing that his mother had died in childbirth with him, which turned out to be a complete lie. You know, his his adopted parents lied to him about that. She was still alive. She published an article in, like, Good Housekeeping right after he was arrested about being his mother, you know. So uh, he found out after he was already in in prison, after he was already in jail, about his mother actually, his birth mother still being alive. So he was fed a lot of bullshit. 
and, and granted, that doesn't make it right what he did, but it doesn't help when you take an already fragile mind and kind of do all that extra stuff to it. It's the nature versus nurture argument. If it's, you know, shit in, shit out everywhere you go, that's going to be what you're used to knowing. That becomes the norm, not the, yeah, it becomes, you know, the, the, the rule, not the exception. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, you make a good point, too, about uh, the fragile mind, and I think that's what's really important here. A lot of times people just kind of write that off, but, I, you know, with everything that happened, maybe it wouldn't matter to me, maybe it wouldn't affect me, but maybe it wouldn't affect Vic, maybe it wouldn't affect you, but a guy like him who had that type of mind, you know, I guess it just wreaked havoc on him, and uh, it just kind of continued on after that. I mean, okay, so he goes to the army he, he you know he went AWOL one night he apparently was caught stealing from the mess hall cited for two incidents and then apparently he has sex for the first time and gets VD from a prostitute now if that's not bad luck I don't know what it is <laughs> <laughs> and you know this is something not talked about much but I have to say and uh, if Vic's listening uh, you know Berkowitz was actually stationed by us buddy in Fort Knox Kentucky and that's when he started attending a Baptist church and praying because I guess he felt empty or whatever the case may be. I can't really speak to it too much. But besides, you know, they were saying that, I don't know, it helped give him like a, a purpose. And, and actually he was given a general rating of an outstanding and dependable soldier. So I, yeah. I don't know. But at the age of 20, that's when he started setting fires again. We've talked about that throughout. I mean, like – it's weird. It was like a, a switch for him. It would turn off and then turn back on randomly. You know, I don't know if it would happen in periods of stress in his life or what. What the deal was with that? Yeah, that kind of just speaks to that whole fires of hell. He believes that he was, you know, sort of invaded by the devil. You know, that whole reference, the biblical reference there, and it just did fire. You know, and and then the parallels. I mean, I'm not saying that it's actually what it is, but it seems like now he doesn't – he sees, I guess, a parallel between himself and Jesus Christ right before Jesus Christ was killed at the, on the crucifixion, right before he was crucified because he talked about it in the uh, in the videos today. And, and it's so weird. I get so much flack from people. It's, it's because of me wanting to, you know, be a – criminal psychologist, I studied the serial killers and abnormal psychology heavily and caught, you know, at the university and everybody was like, Why? Why do you why do you like what they do? Why why do you appreciate them? Why do you care? It's like I don't condone what they did. I think it's interesting to study it from a scientific analysis and a behavioral analysis, what led to those actions. Because those actions, those inclinations were probably already there. Things just amplified in their life to, you know, that being the answer, things pointed to that solution. But I don't glorify serial killers. I mean, I just appreciate the process it takes to, you know, sort of become one. I mean, it, it takes some serious, like, groundbreaking, just awful ground zero shit, you know, for that to happen. And we talked about it with Bundy, and we talked about it with Gacy, and we talked about it with Fish and with all these other people. You know, they all have some weird quirk. You know, fish like to stick needles in his groin, you know, and, and Gacy like to have sex with, you know, underage boys and, you know, all that other stuff. And then Berkowitz like to target women. And that, that could be, a, you know, that could be anything. The age-old argument of mother, you know, it's like I, he felt like a, a hatred towards his mother. 
uh, or, you know, his adopted mother, and he wanted to target women that looked like her with the long brown hair, or, you know, it could be that he felt like, you know, he was told his mother was dead, so, like, he was like, oh, well, what a good idea, you know, let me just kill everybody that looks like mom. It could be anything, really. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, I talked about how he started uh, up with the fires again. He started his journal claims, 1,411 fires. He actually kept the detailed journal of it, which is fucked up in itself. You know what I mean? It's one thing to start some fires because you're just kind of intrigued by it. It's quite another to actually document every single time you did it. I mean, that not, that is an absolute, like, solid number there. Not if you're a serial killer. Right. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you have trophies and things like that. You're going to keep track of those things, so. It is an interesting thing about, you know, for for Berkowitz itself, the fact that he specifically targeted, you know, brunettes. And that was a whole thing that the press was really pushing during that time, that it was a brunette thing. And so people were walking in the streets and wearing wigs and and changing the color of their hair, dyeing their hair so that Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be a target. I mean that was an it was an interesting thing and and you know one, I guess one can draw a parallel that you know his mother was long brunette and, and maybe that's what it was but who really knows I mean but he did actually target just brunettes it was pretty interesting but so did Bobby, and that's right? the funny thing that's the funny thing we can sit here and speculate and he said whatever over time but I don't think anybody really has ever been told what the real reason for what he was doing was I mean we've been fed stuff but who knows if it's true or not. Although I could say that about a lot of people, to be honest with you, you know. So it, it makes it tough to kind of break down somebody like that because he was quiet for 10 years after it happened, and then he started saying other things. But we'll get there. I mean, uh, apparently the age of 21 was big for him because that's when he was honorably discharged from the Army. He started a job as a cab driver. He enrolled at Bronx Community College. He found out his real name was Richard Falco. And he also set a series of fires in New York. He moved into an apartment at 2161 Barnes Avenue. Uh, he shoots the German Shepherd. Well, there you go, more more animal abuse, which is funny because he was actually working at IBI as a security dog or a security guard with dogs. And then that same year, uh, or while he was 21, he found his birth mother Betty Falco and sent her a Mother's Day card. And, that's when they began their relationship. David actually started to drive a taxi cab, you know, around that time too, like I said. So age of 21, I mean, you know, most people are out getting drunk. He's finding his mom, finding out his real name and setting fires. Kind of crazy. And shooting German shepherds, right? He's not most people. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. That's correct. Well, it's, isn't it fucked up that this guy was a security guard and served in the Army? It's just fucked up to think about. You know what I mean? But it's not like he's the only one that's ever done anything like that. It's just weird to think about. That it's like, oh, this is the guy that's protecting you. You know? <laughs> no big deal. Uh, well, well, uh, a lot if, of if people like probably to... yeah, feel the same way about Dahmer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or if you want to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, you, you'd meet Casey. I mean, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just – or, you know, uh, the BT – K killer, you know, like yep. Raider. I mean, like he was a upstanding individual in that in that community, and and you know, he just had an odd hobby, I guess. 
<laughs> uh, uh, speaking of, I saw something really terrible I wanted to share with you guys because I know only you could appreciate it the way that I, that I do. It was a picture of um, Dahmer, since we were talking about Army, and that's something he had in common with uh, Berkowitz, both with the Army. And it said, my baloney really did have a first name. And I was like, oh, that's so fucked. <laughs> yeah, somebody tagged us in that. It's funny. Oh, so I thought 21 was big for him. Apparently, 22 was also big. What did he do? Set more fires. Hired as a security guard at JFK Airport. This is also when he started claiming that he heard voices from the dogs that accompanied him during his shifts. You know, the guard dogs or whatever. Right. Um, then he he did a lot of things. He quit the security job and then he goes to work as a duct worker for an air conditioning company. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he was hearing dogs talk to him. <laughs> this guy's like the dog whisperer. <laughs> well, you so, know, he uh, said later on that that was all bullshit. Like, you know, when the yeah. press started saying he heard the, the voices from, mm-hmm. Sam, you know, from Harvey the dog, he said, no, that was misunderstood. They just latched on to something, and the media bought into it. He said, what it was was I had a noisy dog, you know, that lived next to me named Harvey. He was my neighbor's dog. Noisy dog. He got on my nerves. Exactly. And and they said, you know, they, they also said there was a dog named Sam. Sam did not exist. Sam was supposed to be Saway or Sam Hain. That's what mm. he was studying in the occult. It's just the media totally, like, fucked all that up. Because you know he had the fun laugh during the interview in prison about it. He's given a serious video. They brought up the dog. He said, that's like a misnomer. It's just them feeding into the wrong lines and listening to what the press, you know, grab the press latches onto one thing and then that becomes the thing to talk about with the case or, you know, depending on what it is. He said, that, I didn't hear my neighbor's dog talking. I didn't take orders from that dog. All I said was there was an annoying dog who lived next to me named Harvey. And, and that's, so he was very adamant about that. Yeah. And actually, this same year, he wrote a letter to, uh, you know, his adoptive father, you know, and he basically told him that he was having depression, and uh, I guess that didn't do any good, though. You know how they always say, let it out? Well, I guess he didn't let it out enough, because on, you know, Christmas Eve, 1975, this is when it, it all starts, really. You know, this is where he tries to kill two young women with a knife. The first victim was unidentified, but wasn't seriously hurt, and was actually able to fight back. The second was Michelle Foreman. And he attacked her as she crossed a bridge, but she also survived. And this is where, you know, he made up his mind then and there. He's not a Bundy. He's not a a Gacy. He's not any of those guys. He's a guy that doesn't like it up close and personal. You know what I mean? Too messy, too all sorts of things. He's the type that's kind of a sniper, even though he's not a sniper. It's the same concept, right? Right. Johnny, yep. do you think there's a different mindset among these guys that, that use a gun as opposed to, you know, like to do it, uh, I don't know, like to feel somebody die? I mean, I don't, I don't know any other way to put it than that. Well, I mean, they're all different, and they all have a similar um, – they're going to want to have something personal. So that's why it was interesting that, that he was more – most of the things he did, he started out with, with it. He first, he first, um, uh, like you described, he first used a knife, but he, the rest of them, all the murders were, were done by, by gun. Um, other ones are very close up. I mean, you know, like to, you know, some of them like to, like Kemper like to cut their heads off and have sex with their heads, you know, like, like they wanted it really personal. Um, so I don't, you know, he, he's an interesting dude, even though the, you, you talked about 
um, you know, one of the things that he, the, the, the letters that he signed um, at, the, at the crime scene was that he called himself the son of Sam. And that was one of the things that drew him to the whole dog thing, right? So that was, it was blown up in the media, but he sort of helped push that a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, I think the same year, this is when he gets his rifle permit and purchases a Commando Mark III semi-automatic rifle. Dude, he got it for $152.50. I mean, what the fuck do you think he was planning on doing with that? I know he didn't end up using it, but you, you know what was already going through his mind. I wonder why he didn't use that. What do you think? I mean, has he ever talked about that? Have you guys ever heard him talk about that? It's documented, but I don't know what his purpose for it was, or if he ever said. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any specific quotes pertaining to that. So no, I don't. No, he didn't mention it in any of the any of the video clips or any of the interviews that uh, that I watched. He never even mentions the uh, the rifle. I mean, who knows why he really had it? You know, maybe he thought about it. Because remember, in one of his letters, he said uh, goodbye and good night, but I'll be back. Maybe when he yeah. did, being back, he was going to try semi-automatic, you know, rifles and stuff next, since he had already kind of shown he was a badass with the handguns, you know. A lot of NBC News reports talked about how he was planning on going out with, in a blaze of glory, and I'd never heard that again after that, so I'm not sure what to think about that. But this is around the time also where he moves in, you know, to that house next to Sam Carr, which is the one with the dog that was pissing him off, and he actually made a Molotov cocktail to kill the dog, but it didn't work out. So, I mean, regardless if the dog's quote-unquote talking to him or not, I, I'm just being honest with you guys. I love dogs, but if there's a dog keeping me up all night and shit like that, it would probably fuck with my head at least a little bit too, you know? <laughs> not to the point that I'm going to murder somebody, but maybe I might want to kill the dog or the owner. I'm just saying. Probably not the dog, the owner, more than likely, because I, I hate people. I, I like dogs, but I don't like people. Fuck them. So, <clears throat> this is actually... This, the same year, so in May is when he made that Molotov cocktail, May of 76. Well, in June of 76, he buys a, a 44 caliber Charter Arms Bulldog handgun. This is the one that, that's the murder weapon. While he was visiting an old Army buddy, uh, which is Billy Dan Parker in Houston. You know, how, how um, stereotypical is that, that he goes and gets the murder weapon in Texas? <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> No, I don't have anything against Texas. I lived in Texas, but I just think it's funny because we, you know, it's it's deeply into things like that. So I just thought it was amusing. Uh, this is let's see. A month later, after he gets that gun, at 1 a.m., he fired five shots into a, a parked car, and that's when he killed Donna Loria, who was 18, with a shot to the neck. And then Jody Valenti was 19, was shot in the hip, and survived. So those are his first, I guess. You know, murders, uh, July 29th, or murder, July 29th, 1976. So, what do we hear? We're, we're about four days away from his first murder, and that would be, what, 41 years? So, we're almost 41 years away from his first murder. That's crazy. Yeah, it would have been kind of, uh, I guess, cool and like, you know, sort of, uh, you know, grim and morbid to have the show on the anniversary of his first murder. That would have been kind of weird. Or on the anniversary of the day he was caught, which was August 10th of yeah. you know, 77. But, you know, I don't I don't book these things. I don't make them. That's up to y'all. 
<laughs> we always come close. We always come close as possible to things like this, but we never, you know, since we do it on Tuesday, it's always, uh, you know, all about fate on that one. But uh, a couple yeah. months later, this is where uh, he writes, a, because apparently he was a good writer, they say. Uh, he, he wrote a poem entitled Mother of Satan. So I guess, because see, here's the thing, okay. He says that he was in a satanic cult and all this stuff. So this isn't like documented stuff, but would you guys assume at this point in time he's in a satanic cult right now, if if this is true? You know, he's following second. Yeah. He was interested in it, right? I mean, but who knows? I mean, do they have a meeting, meet up or something? I don't know. Well, he lived <laughs> next to that park. You know, the uh, Johnny the Park I'm talking about. I can't remember who owned it, but the guy that owned the park used to, as Berkowitz said, bump elbows with Aleister Crowley, who was like one of the most evil yeah. men recorded in history. So, like, yeah, he, right. he, he surrounded himself with all manner of evil and vile things. He started reading the Satanic Bible, which was, you know, written by the late Anton LaVey, and started, you know, studying the Church of Satan type things. And he just, I think what it was was he was like a young, impressionable mind, and he was sort of almost like the exception or, you know, when people used to say, well, if you let a kid play violent video games like Grand Theft Auto, they're going to grow up and have a bad, you know, like opinion of women and think they can do all that stuff. He was probably one of the people that probably would have actually really done that. And I think that's probably part of the reason that he went on to commit as many murders as he did was because he believed that, you know, ritual murder, as far as the cults and the satanic cults were concerned, he thought that would be a way for him to, I guess, kind of become an initiate into said cult, and even though this was all a complete delusion, in his mind, it was completely real, you know? You know, you you guys make a good point. I mean, again, it's just one of those things where it's like, I think people want to blame the Satanist thing, and maybe he was involved in it, but I don't blame that. I mean, not all Satanists become murderers, obviously. So, I mean, right. hell, we talked to one who's down-to-earth Satanist. That, that's not their M.O. That Most Satanists are like you know, live your life, be happy type of thing. I know that sounds weird from, you know, but it's true, you know? I don't know how to put it any other way. Well, true, but he also, remember, he was raised Jewish, and in the Jewish, right. you know, religion and Jewish belief, you know, as far as Lucifer goes, he was a fallen angel, and, and you know, if you can be bad enough to get kicked out of heaven, you must really be a piece of work. And I think maybe murder went along with that. Plus, like I said, the way it was sensationalized in movies like Rosemary's Baby, whenever you watch a horror movie dealing with a satanic cult, what are they usually doing? Fucking murdering people. Or, you know, sacrificing dogs or fucking birds or drinking blood or doing some kind of fucked up shit like, all the time. I mean, you can almost set your watch by it. And, and and even at that time, there were some movies, you know, up to that point, like Rosemary's Baby and some of the others that sort of showed Satanism in that kind of a light, you know, that it was what it was. And The Exorcist, we don't know. He might have seen The Exorcist, and that might have really thrown him over the edge. You know, The Exorcist yeah, came out around like four time. years before he was caught, you know, 73, and it's still one of the scariest movies of all time. And it, it definitely explores the murder and you know, your your mother, you know, does blank, blank in hell and all this other kind of stuff and possession and, you know, being like almost raped by like a demonic presence and all that sort of thing. So we don't know. He might have saw that and that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. We just don't know. Like you said, like you said fragile mind. All right. Uh, so, 
Go ahead, Johnny. No, I, I mean, he, um, you know, in his later interviews, he doesn't really want to talk about it. I mean, I saw that, mm-hmm. that Larry King interview, and he was trying to talk about the first murder, the, the first kill that he had, which I'm very intrigued about. But uh, he would he was completely avoiding it. He just kept on saying, I'm sorry about it. I, you know, I really regret it. And I'm sorry about the pain that I caused on the families and such, but he refuses to, to go into the, what drove him to do that, which is, you know, it, it's an interesting thing because we need to, it, it, everybody sort of wants to understand that. Everybody wants to understand what makes, what drives somebody to go from, you know, somebody coming out of the, the army, going in and, and getting a normal job and doing air duct work and then going for the, the post office and then, saying, no, I'm driven now to, to murder someone. And it was pretty random. Like, his first kill was not as, it, it was it was more of a random murder than, than a, you know, like an Ed Kemper type of murder, right, where he was seeking out specific people. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it was weird is he would pass people up and then pick these specific ones, and who the hell knows why, but... right. So we're talking about almost three months later after his first murder takes place, uh, October 23rd, 1976. Uh, so an hour and a half or so after that, that murder at 2.30 a.m., he fired five shots, again five shots, into a parked car, and he wounds Rosemary Keenan and Carl Denaro. So he doesn't kill either one of them, but Carl undergoes major head surgery. He gets a plate in his head, and he survived. But I guess I guess maybe Rosemary did end up dying. Did she or, or not? I believe she ended up becoming a paraplegic because she was hitting the spine. Oh, shit. Yeah. That sucks. I think yeah. I'd rather die, to be honest with you. Mm, yeah, a lot of people probably would be in the same boat with you there. You don't want to be stuck with a monkey that's trying to kill you, you know? So. <laughs> monkey shine's coming back. Coming back. So, uh, yeah, just push my, push my ass off the roof at that point. What, wasn't it also that... De Niro was mistaken for a woman because he had really long yes. hair. Yeah, long, long hair, hair. Long blonde hair, yep. Yeah. And that was the thing is that they figured out that pretty quick. That, you know, that's why the, the whole woman-hating thing came out here. You know, uh, okay, so he's killed, you know, or he shot two different cars full of people uh, late, late at night with five bullets or five shots each time. It's just kind of funny that he chooses five shots. I wonder why that is. It's it's just random, I guess. I don't know how many after that. but So, you know, we go to a month later, November 27th, 1976. He shot Donna DeMassi, who was 16, and Joanne Lamino, who was 18, while pretending that he needed directions. This is, I think, where he stopped and shot them, and then they both survived. But Joanna was actually, uh, see, Blake, this is the one. Joanna was paralyzed from the waist down. Okay, then her the other one spine was shattered. From her, yeah, then the other one died from her wound. Sorry, I just confused the two. Oh. Yeah, I think I think Donna was the one that held up the textbook, right, and got shot in the face. That, no, I think uh, that was her. No, the one I think that got shot no, in the face right. was the one with the Virginia. The last name, yeah. Virginia Voskerichian. Okay, we'll get there. So yeah. he goes quiet for a couple months, and then January 30th, 1977, he shot John Deal and Christine Fruind, 26. Uh, Christine died after being shot in the head at the hospital. John survived and ran for help. Now, is John the one that was shot in the eye and lost his eye? Uh, hmm. 
I'm not sure. I think think it is. Because I think he was actually engaged to Christine, I believe. Yeah. That that would make sense. Which was all kind of fucked up. Think about it. You're out with a chick that you're engaged to be married to, and she ends up getting slugged by a fucking bullet right in front of you. It's years of therapy for that guy, you know? Yep. Oh, it reminds me of Zodiac. Remember what happened? Those those two, you know, where they were in the park, one gets stabbed, the other one gets stabbed too, but only the guy survives. Like, he's making sure that most of these chicks die. A couple of the dudes survived, you know? The viciousness yeah. is more intended for them, it feels like. Right, like he shot, like the Zodiac shot into the car with uh, Darlene and uh, Mike McGough lived, but, you know, he was... And he suffered injuries and pain, I guess, the rest of his life. I think he's still around, but he got shot like five or six times. And I just, I don't know. I guess, like you said, he focuses on the women. And if you're a guy and happen to be, oh, well, you know, I'll just shoot you too. And if you live, okay. And if you die, that's cool too. You know, whatever. I mean, this may all be a coincidence. I mean, how are we supposed to know? Because what he said, he's like, oh, I didn't hate these people. It's like, who the hell can believe anything he's saying at that point? But anyway, so yeah. I think that. The um, uh, the what was it, Volante or something like that was shot in the eye, and yeah, and I think that the that deal actually ran away and got away. I don't think he was hurt. Okay, yeah, he just got shot. I guess he wasn't too too bad off, but yeah, Christine died at the hospital. Okay, right. so so this is going to be the first one that's actually not at the end of the month because most of these killings were you know. Uh, towards the end of the month until March 8, 1977. I'm just looking for parallels, but he shot Virginia Voskarichian in the face as she returned home from classes at Barnard College. She was killed instantly. This is the textbook one. You know, that she put up the textbook, gets killed anyway, obviously. But, I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, somebody pulls a gun on you, and not much you can do. Two days later, this is actually when the police released information concerning the use of the 44 caliber gun being used in all the killings, and then they linked the murders of Donna Loria and Virginia uh, Voskarichian together. Now, let me just bring this up because we haven't really done it yet. He was, before he was Son of Sam, he was known as the 44 caliber killer. So if anybody ever hears that, that's Son of Sam. It's the same one. Yeah. So a couple of nicknames for him. Um, Some have some. In the movie, I think in Summer of Sam that they that one of the characters was just saying that it was uh, Reggie Jackson. They, they they were saying that they thought that because his uh, jersey was forty four. Yep, there you go. <laughs> you called it. Uh, so Sam Carr actually, Sam Carr is that neighbor. He receives an anonymous letter complaining about his Labrador Retriever Harvey, who we talked about earlier. The letter signed a citizen. Uh, this is when, around this time in April of 1977, he gets hired at the post office. I guess I would say that's the last straw, but he was already killing people before that. Uh, so April 17th, 1977, a week after, or well, the same month he gets hired at the post office, Valentina Serrani, who was 18, died instantly, and Alexander Esov died at the hospital, who was 20. Uh, apparently, they were shot. He left a note for the police stating, "Come and get me, son of Sam." and uh, this is around the time where Berkowitz gets the traffic summons for uh, driving a car with no insurance. But this isn't the thing that does them in. It's so strange how some of these guys get caught, but we'll get there. Um, two days later, this is where they start uh, Operation Omega, which is a task force uh, assembled under the leadership of Timmy Dowd and 
they had 75 detectives and 225 uniformed officers looking for this guy. I haven't seen anything like that since, like, the Boston bombers. You guys think of anything else like that? I mean, it's all terrorism-based now. What world we live in? We don't get any good serial killers anymore. We just get terrorists. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> we still do get some <laughs> serial killers. But, uh, yeah, they're not as they're not as good though. They're not as publicized. I mean, that was that way. you're right. I mean, that terrorized New York during that time. Yeah, it was. You know, it was really like a mass mass media type of thing. It was it gripped the the nation, but that that city was completely gripped by it. So, by that definition, sure. But I mean, they just caught a a serial killer. Um, a female a nurse serial killer in, in Canada that killed a number of people and recently, and she's pretty vocal about her, yeah. her thing. So look at you tracking them. Good job. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I, I still think that. we need to do a show, Travis on Bathroom. I know we don't tend to do like all over the world killers, but I think he's, uh, he's worth it. He actually is probably one of the most prolific serial killers in the world. He strangled 931 people to death with a red sack. Which one? Bathroom. He's an Indian thug. He used to be part of right. like a gang back in, uh, I want to say 1400s, you know, 1500s. Right. Yeah, and I mean, 931 victims, that's, that's, I think the only American person we have close to him is Ridgeway, and they're still finding bodies. They've even quit looking. I think now if they find a dead woman or a dead hooker, they just blame Ridgeway just because. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. All right, so that same day they put together the uh, Operation Omega Task Force, Sam Carr, he gets a second letter stating, I can see that there will be no peace in my life or my family's life until I end yours. And Carr's so shaken, uh, for good reason, that he takes the letters to the Yonkers, or letter to the Yonkers police. And then 10 days later, Carr's dog was shot but survived. And I just have to tell you, anybody that can't kill a dog if you if you shoot it is pretty pathetic. It's not like they're like, I mean, Jesus, it shouldn't be that hard, but I guess he's fast, that dog is. He just wanted to shoot him once and run away. I don't know. It's weird that he wasn't able to kill this dog. I mean, especially if it's driving him nuts like that. None of these people did anything to him, and he couldn't even kill the fucking dog. <laughs> well, dogs are a lot quicker than people, I guess. And smarter, apparently. The people can't get the hell out of their cars, <laughs> and they know to be out at night. Shit, I don't know. All right, so... May 1977. All right, you guys tell me if you think this is accurate now that you've seen Berkowitz, heard him talk and everything. A psychological profile of the killer is released describing him as neurotic, schizophrenic, and paranoid, and probably shy and odd, a loner, inept in establishing personal relationships, especially with women. Um, I think that's pretty spot on. What do you guys think? That's like every fucking serial killer ever. I mean, well, exactly. not all of them, but, you know, <laughs> quite a few of them. Dahmer. Uh, uh, yeah, but think about know. it, though. They they didn't have this back then, so I think that's what's pretty impressive, you know? Well, right. It wasn't I mean, as it, common. Yeah, I mean, for them to have the uh, forthright and the vision to acknowledge something like that. But, I mean, schizophrenia, they knew schizophrenia then was like a mental disorder. I mean, and, and like I said, I mean, he was clearly insane. I mean... <laughs> clearly by all indications I mean he and, and you know but then again who the hell am I they fucking let OJ Simpson out you know whatever well he's not um, legally insane but he's uh, yeah, definitely 
insane on some level. I agree. Well, right. I mean, even if it was that they had him committed for temporary insanity just after he was incarcerated. And then, you know, he had all these attempts on his life. Apparently in 79, some fucking other inmate wanted to try to make a name for himself as the guy who put Son of Sam out, and he tried to slash David Berkowitz's throat, and, you know, yeah. he survived that. So it's, yeah, it's and Berkowitz actually mentioned that uh, he walked himself down to the infirmary. Yeah, he did. Because he obviously didn't get, he didn't get the artery, but he was walking, he walked himself down to the infirmary, so. Yeah. Yep. Well, he's 24 now in June of 1977, and this is actually, he writes a letter to, uh, or writes letters to uh, Jimmy Breslin, which is the Daily yep. News reporter. And this is more Zodiac connection, you know? Uh, screwing with po- the police and the press now, you know? And Jack the Ripper, you know? Jack the Ripper sent some letters to the police, too. So, there, yeah, there's lots of parallels there. And BTK, right? So, BTK, yep, yep. That's, what, that's what got him caught, right? So. Yep. I mean, that's why you always think these guys want to be caught on some level because they're just going as far as they can to see how much shit they can do before they get caught. You know, because if you were just worried about not getting caught, they wouldn't do some of the shit they do. But, you know, they want to taunt. They want to get their names out there. And and he, maybe more than almost anyone, really wanted to get his name out there. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so June 6, 1977, he sends his downstairs neighbor, Craig Glassman, a threatening letter stating, True, I am the killer, but Craig, the killings are at your command. Which is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. But he did talk about Craig a lot later on. I don't know why. What was his problem with Craig? I know he had a problem with Sam, but what was Craig's deal? Anybody ever hear I don't know. Because I've never heard. No, I don't really know. He doesn't talk about it. What did you say Craig's last name was? Uh, Craig uh, Glassman. Maybe it's because he was a fellow Jewish person. I don't know. Because, you know, I mean, it just seems like Jewish people let him down. His birth mother and father were Jewish. You know, and then there was the Italian guy, Falco. You know, that was... Falco, and then his adopted parents were Jewish, and it just maybe the Jewish, maybe something, maybe has something to do with, you know, religious identity, you know, or ethnicity. I don't know. This fucker's crazy, you know, like with all the things that <laughs> always happen. I mean, like I know he's crazy, but like all the things that happen in such short order, the dude's only twenty four at this point. I mean, that's unbelievable. It seems odd to think that this guy was only twenty four doing all this shit. Well, I can't imagine. He, he did suffer from some depression as a as a late teen, right? I mean, yeah. well, he's such a and, and so late teens, and and so um, you will start uh, seeing the uh, seeing the psychiatric uh, or the, the the condition of of um, of geez, I can't can't think of the Praise for that, but um, the fact that he's you know he has multiple pers- the, the multiple personality uh, disorder um, you'll see those types of things happen in late teens. So twenty four is not that far off of that, right? If he's actually yeah. hearing voices and, and being guided by those voices, um, you would think that uh, that psychiatric or that that, psych- that psychological condition would, would manifest around that time, right? Yeah, and I don't want to write off the whole dog thing. Like, I'm not saying that, like, it was, like, 100% inspired by the dog or anything, but I think there was something there. I don't know how much, but there was something there. 
Like, I don't think he thought dogs were talking to him, but I think dogs played some role in his life. Think about all the dogs that were like, I mean, he shot a German ship. There was something up there. I don't know exactly what it was, and he wants to fucking act like it was nothing now, and that's good and well, but I feel like there was something there. He probably just doesn't want to sound like an idiot. I don't know. So anyway, the day after he sends that letter to Craig uh, Glassman, he failed to answer a court summons, so his driver license automatically gets suspended. And then three days later, he uh, Jack Cacera receives a get-well card for falling off his roof, and he, he never fell and didn't know... Sam and Francis Carr, the couple who supposedly sent the letter. So, who's Jack Casari? Anybody know? No, I don't. Is he in the building also? Maybe? I don't know. He's doing weird shit at this point, though. That's for sure. Because he sends another threatening letter eight days later to Craig Glassman again. And then eight days after that, he shot Judy Placido. I think that's how it's pronounced. It could be Placido. In the neck, temple, and shoulder, and shot Salvador Lupe. Both of them survived, too. Um, damn, you think getting shot in neck, temple, and shoulder would do you in, but apparently not. He's going back to hurt. the end of the month again. Yeah, I'm sure it did fucking hurt. <laughs> temple would suck. you think you would bleed out. Jesus. Uh, let's see here. He quit the post office on July 29, 1977, which was the actual one-year anniversary of Donna uh, Loria's murder. So uh, happy 40th, well, almost 40th anniversary of quitting your job, fella. And then two days later, this is where Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violani were shot. Stacy died. Robert was blinded. There you go, uh, Johnny. You called it. Yeah. David parked next to a fire hydrant and got a ticket during that time. And Kassara, the Kassara family phoned the cops about Berkowitz doing the killings, but they didn't believe them. See, I think Kassara is in the building. I don't yeah. know who they are <laughs> precisely. Now, I think they were neighbors, if I remember reading correctly. He just he sent a lot of stuff to people in the building. Obviously, you know, you had car, the car, you know Sam Carr, you had Glassman, you had you know. So I think they were all people who lived in that same building because it was just a middle, you know, middle of the road apartment building. It wasn't anything special. Yeah, well, his freedom's about done because on August sixth, he sets a fire and. This is something that people don't talk about either. This dude was obsessed with fire. August 6, 1977, he set a fire with 20, 22 caliber bullets in it on Greg Craig Glassman's front door. What the fuck did Craig ever do to anybody? Poor guy. And I don't think anything happened there because I never heard anything happen to Craig. But four days later, what do we find out? Detectives track down David's car in Yonkers and they arrest him. So like Blake said, August 10, 1977, almost 40 years since the capture of Son of Sam. Uh, they catch him, and what's he say, fellas? What's he say when they catch him? He didn't actually say that. It took you long enough for some bullshit like that. He said he didn't say that, and apparently he uh, he asked a reporter that had been interviewing him to go back through the public record, and the, the reporter said he could never find where he actually said that in any interview. Hmm. So that's bullshit, according to him right. and this reporter. Uh, but didn't didn't they say you got me? Uh, not it took you long enough, but you got me or something like that. It was some half-assed remark, but he but it, apparently they looked and uh, it's public record now to go look at what it, what he said as far as transcripts in the media. There was no mention of anything. He had a goofy look on his face, and and that came from <laughs> yeah he did. Men, a lot of men, and he talked about it in the interview. A lot of men, when they do something really stupid, instead of going, oh, shit, I did something really stupid, oh, damn, you know, they just, 
put on the sheepish grin, like, well, I fucked up, you know, and it just, that's sort of how he looked in a lot of his pictures. He said people thought I was smiling and being like, you know, condescending and being happy and prideful about what I did. He said, no, I was just embarrassed. You know, I was embarrassed and, and, you know, I got caught and for one, I did something really stupid and hurt all these people and then I got caught and I just felt stupid and, and also shy and kind of fearful. He said when he first went out and they paraded him along the street, because they used to do that, uh, parade somebody when they captured them and take them out so everybody could see who they were. He said the first thing he saw, he thought was, I've never seen so many flashbulbs in my life, and it frightened me. All the press, like, swarming him. So that was his sort of answer. I thought most of to say he might be borderline Asperger's or something, because they have, uh, it, it, it's shown that people that have that a lot of the times are uh, fearful of social interaction. They don't make eye contact and, you know, stuff like that. I could see that, Blake. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, I mean, he's very well read, and he tested above average intelligence. Then again, so did Bundy. But, you know, Bundy served as his own defense attorney and still got the electric chair. So I guess that says nothing about how smart somebody is. Yeah, Bundy was fucking overconfident. But, uh, but okay, so I want to tell you guys about this real quick. In, in, in terms of Berkowitz and film, I watched uh, Out of the Darkness from 1985 the other day. It was a TV movie starring Martin Sheen. And uh, this guy, Robert Traber, played David Berkowitz in that movie. You guys can find it on YouTube if you want. But uh, it, it was a pretty decent movie. But, you know, Berkowitz himself was only in it. You know, the character was only in it for like, I don't know, five minutes. But this guy gave the best portrayal of the serial killer that I've ever seen. It was amazing. So to get the chance, fast forward towards the end if you don't want to watch the whole thing just to see this guy play Berkowitz. It was amazing. You know, just to – because, fuck, Berkowitz, it would be easy to ham it up with Berkowitz because of how – if you've ever heard him talk, and I know you guys have, he sounds like a stereotypical Jew. Like he sounds like Woody Allen. Wow. (laughs) Does he not? Uh, no, it's just the fact that you said that. I just I should have expected it. It's you, for Christ's sake. But uh, well, I'm not saying anything mean. I'm just saying that's what he sounds like. He sounds when, like when, a stereotypical Jew. I don't know. He does like that Archie Bunker shit. Well, he does. Okay, watch Family Guy. They have a stereotypical Jew on there. Do they? Not? I can't watch Family Guy with my kids are in the house, which is all the time. Okay. So I can't watch that stuff. Johnny knows what I'm talking about. I'm not saying anything mm-hmm. bad about Jews. I like Jews. They have money. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I'm not going there. So, I, I, I mean, I've listened to a lot of of, of interviews with him, or I'll probably watch the same interviews that everybody has. Because um, yeah. you know, even if you go up on his 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 website, you know, the the Arise and Shine website, you know, he has all those things. Uh, he doesn't. He just sounds like a a New Yorker to me. So, uh, you know, he's got that New York uh, <laughs> New York accent to me. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely. Uh, no doubt about that. So I could go into all the other bullshit, but I guess we should really get into, uh, you know, we go through the whole thing where he goes through the, the trial and all that, and after he pleads guilty to the six shootings, he was to be sentenced at 11 a.m., and this is May 22nd, 1978. Berkowitz entered the courtroom like, he was just fucking crazy, and he was like, Stacy is a whore. Stacy is a whore. I'll shoot them all. <laughs> And the judge postponed sentencing pending additional psychiatric reports. I guess that's one way to try to get everything postponed, right? 
Yeah, I kill her again, I kill them all again, right? That's right. Yeah. Oh, he's pissing people off with that. I mean, yeah. I guess he's just trolling people at the end at this point. Uh, yeah, it's weird. He was weird. Did you, did you, uh, we forgot to mention something, Travis. You know, when you were talking yeah. with him, sending the uh, the stuff to the uh, the editor, the uh, you know columnist. Um, yeah, Braslin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Braslin. He refers to women, and when he spells it, it's W E M O N, which is very close to the way you spell demon. So right. I, I kind of looked into that as to maybe he saw women as sort of like a. a a blight to him at first because of the circumstances surrounding one. He lost his, his, you know, his adopted mother to cancer. So anytime a woman was in his life, she died. So he figured, what the hell, why not? Because, you know, he was told that his mother died in childbirth, you know, which was bullshit. So it's like, maybe he just equated, uh, you know, dishonesty and lies and, and, and negative things with women at the time. I mean, he says he has no now. He says he has nothing against women. And he loved his sister, Ro- uh, Rosalind, I think, was like his half-sister. Uh, and he had no problem with her or anybody else. It's just those women, I don't know. And the way he spelled it, I don't think that was an accident, is my point. You know, I don't think spelling it that way was an accident. He was weird enough to do something like that on purpose, I agree. Well, right. I mean, he was. Zodiac weird. used to do that. The Zodiac used to spell things wrong on purpose. In, in, in addition to using coding, he used, you know... He used to spell words wrong on purpose. It's like, you know, this guy knows how to spell that. But he sure. just didn't spell it that way. You know, that's just another parallel he has with uh, with Zodiac. And uh, I don't know, I'd almost venture to say he might have been inspired by the Zodiac in maybe a small part because, what, he saw Rosemary's baby. And I think uh, he's born, what, 53? And about the time of the Zodiac killings, he would have been, what, 15, 16. by the start of the first one, yeah. anyway, I think. Yeah. It, it was 60s. I know that. So Yeah, mid-60s, definitely, up to, what, 70? There was one of the murder, I think, that happened in, like, 78 that they attributed to the Zodiac, but after that, nothing. And they never found him, you know? So I think maybe that was, like, maybe a point of intrigue, because I'm not going to lie, I was intrigued by that, the fact that they never caught Jack the Ripper and the fact that they never caught the Zodiac was interesting to me. Maybe yeah. you felt some kind of intrigue, you know, I don't know. But anyway, sorry. No, no, no. Look, it, this is one of those things where I think uh, we just need to talk about things that maybe other people haven't, and that's okay, you know, because I think everybody talks about him in a in a vacuum. But, I mean, look at all the other parallels. It's uncanny how many – I mean, I, to be honest with you, if you take uh, – <laughs> If you take all the, some of the really good serial killers I and mean, put all their their qualities together, you get Berkowitz in a lot of ways. I mean, right. no doubt about it. He's prototypical. Uh, he, I mean, yeah, it is a prototypical serial killer. I mean, he has a he has a method to it. It isn't. It's kind of thought out, and uh, he takes his time to do it. Right? It's not like it's it's random. It's it's he he's ready to do it. He's compelled to do it. Um, yep. Other serial killers, you know, I always go back on Kemper. To me, I always thought Kemper was a pretty prototypical one. Um, you know, they had their method, and Kemper was interesting on my because when he finally achieved what he wanted to do, he stopped. Yeah, and, yeah, he was different in that way. I mean, that was definitely right. an exception to most rules. They would have continued on if they could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kemper was always the best one to me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
lot of people believe that Berkowitz would have continued on too, but then there's the story about the machine gun and whether he would have like just taken out a bunch of people first. Who knows what would have happened with him if he didn't get busted. But he got sentenced to 365 years in prison and had his first parole meeting in July 2002, which was denied. And he's been denied uh, repeatedly since then, and I believe he'll be denied forever. But, yeah, like Johnny said earlier, he was actually – okay, so first, he went to Sing Sing, which is – Albert Fish went there, didn't he? Yeah. And then later on where he was attacked, like Johnny said, was in Attica Prison, which is a, right. a well-known prison Attica. also. Yeah, that was a ride stitches, there Johnny. people were killed, yeah. 58 yeah. stitches and an 8-inch scar as a result of that attack. Yep. And uh, and then 1987, which is, what, like nine years after he uh, pleads guilty, he uh, accepts Christ as his personal savior and rededicates his life. And I have to tell you, fellas, I, I buy that shit as much as I buy that he was a Satanist because I don't buy either one of them, to be honest with you. He may have been intrigued by what they do, but I don't think he was an actual Satanist practicing, you know. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Well, that's fine, but he has a nice website now. So, <laughs> <laughs> the son of hope. Let's not forget anybody that buys that. <laughs> the son of hope. Obviously, you've been up to HorizonSign.org, right? So, um, and that has been updated recently. I mean, I don't know if you followed it, but um, it used to be a clearly 1999 website with yeah. it looked like a 1999 it's been recently updated rebooted in the past i guess the past year or so i don't know it's all nice and with new fonts and and a, and a much better look to it so he's obviously trying <laughs> to polish his image a little bit so well yeah and i mean i watched like 10 <laughs> like uh, seven of those uh, there's 10 different video 10 different right. sections of this interview and i watched like six or seven and when he broke down crying the camera stayed on him for a minute, but then the camera like kind of bowed down and stuff. And when they pan back up to him, he looked. I mean, he he seems legitimate. He may have not been an actual Satanist, but he and he said he said the whole time. He said, "I don't care, you know." To me, I, I know that I probably won't get out, and even if I have to, to, you know, spend my last dying breath behind prison walls, I will know that when I do die and I finally do get to meet Christ, I will be able to tell him thank you for, for saving my life on so many different times I should have been dead and for giving me forgiveness so that I can, you know, see hope in that and not continue to, you know, destroy myself over what I did because that's not the person that I am anymore. I mean, I think that takes a – if it was an act, I think it takes a lot of balls to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, but that's just me. I grew up in a, in a religious background, so I mean, I kind of, I, I'm not going to say I was biased, but when I found out that he did actually convert, I I kind of went and listened to what he said, and he had Bibles with him, and he did quotes, and he wrote this thing for the interview. It was really beautiful. I mean, it kind of made my breath catch in my throat, and I just, I know he's a killer, or he was, and I'm not, you know, I'm not condoning what he did, but I honestly, and this is where we'll disagree, Travis and Vic probably, but that's okay, but I honestly don't think that he's the same man that he was when they arrested him. I think he's got some treatment, you know, and he's acknowledged he has a mental disorder, and he probably takes medication or gets some kind of treatment for that. Well, I'm an asshole. Yeah. I wouldn't even give him a chance. His asshole would been dead. So <laughs> that's the type of jerk I am. Well, that's okay. I mean, whatever. To each their own. It takes different strokes to move the world. I'm just saying, you know, it's, uh, to me, he just, he seemed legitimate. He may not have been, but he seemed that way. 
I mean, that's okay, Blake. I, Look, if know. somebody had asked me, I'd tell you, tell them that you're a better person than I am. So it's all good. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm it. better or worse than anybody else. I'm just saying I looked I in am. his eyes, and I just I kind of <laughs> looked in his eyes, and I saw lots of regret and shame and fear and and sorrow there. I mean, and it's not like Albert Fish where you look in his eyes and and and. You know, the last thing he's saying is "fuck you" or you know something like what uh, Gacy or you know somebody said. I mean, I looked in his eyes, and to me, that seemed real. And I'm not excusing what he did. What he did was a terrible, abominable thing. But you know, I mean, sure. I mean, I, I, you know, you when you sort of compare him and you put him up against the Panzerim of the world, and yeah, he's not he's not Panzerim, right? Panzerim would kill you just as soon as looking at you, and I don't think that was his thing. And I think that, yeah, he's probably on medication, and he's probably not the same deranged lunatic that he was forty some years ago. Um, but still, should he reign? You know, I mean, should he roam the 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 earth um, free? Probably not. Right. He killed. He'll never be people. free, and he's acknowledged right. that they will never right. let him out. I mean, and, and George Collard made a joke about it, and I thought it was funny when it pertains to serial killers. He said, "You know, you build up this pool of hopeless people, and and the convicts, they're right in the pool with them." And he said, "You know, it's like they commit a crime, and the judge gives them this fucking draconian sentence." Like he said, he saw one time a guy got three life sentences plus two death penalties. He said, "How the fuck do you serve that?" <laughs> You'd have to be Lazarus to serve shit, you know. Okay, make sure you die every single time that you're supposed to die, sir. So, yes, yes. Laurie, so Johnny, Johnny, kind of, he 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 mentioned the comparison. We've been doing it this whole show, and guys, I just love the fact that Johnny's on here and that Blake's on here too. Uh, okay, well, first let me tell us a quick story. All right, we had William Harder on for the Toolbox Murders because he met the Toolbox or the Toolbox Killers, rather. He met both of them many, many times. It was a really good show. And he talked about when he met Richard Ramirez, he told Richard Ramirez uh, that uh, David Berkowitz was a sellout, and and Richard Ramirez kind of looked at him like, yep. (laughs) You know what I mean? Hey, but Richard Ramirez was a Satanist, too. Wasn't there like a secret handshake? And so was William Harder. And so was William Harder. So, yeah, I could see where he's coming from. I just found that whole thing funny. But since we're talking about serial killers, okay, and I like – okay, when I when I, when I I talk about this, because I don't want to include Jack the Ripper, and I don't want to go back too far, we'll say of the last, let's say, I don't know, 50 years. Uh, and I'm going to ask Vic first, okay? Vic, are you listening, buddy? Yeah, what's good, what's good. All right, so we've <laughs> talked about this on the show many times. Vic's, Vic's tore up, y'all. He Vic's is fucking drunk, drunk at a shit, casino. He's, yeah, he's he is. Pot, he's still pot drunk. That's what it is. He was about to get upset because Johnny is talking about Panzram, and then he realized that he was saying good things. I <laughs> got a little upset. We're good. We're good. <laughs> All right. So it, in the last 50 years, sorry, Vic, Panzram's not included because that was longer ago. And H.H. H. Holmes, my favorite, is not included in, either. But if you had a Mount Rushmore, not your favorite, like the elite, of serial killers, the Mount Rushmore of serial killers, and they could be from wherever. And see, I'm not just looking at quantity. I'm talking about media coverage, all that shit. I'm asking Vic first. Vic, what's your Mount Rushmore of serial killers? 50 years. Uh, Bundy, Gacy, Dahmer, and Ramirez. Good. That's a good, uh, you know, Mount Rushmore right there. That's what I thought it would be. What about you, Johnny? You said 50 years? Yep, 50 years. Yeah. All right. Uh, 
Well, I'm going to go with Kemper because I have to go with Kemper. Um, mm-hmm. I'll go with Kemper, Dahmer, um, Bundy, and Gacy. Oh, so there's two for uh, Bundy, Dahmer, Gacy. So the question is really, and let's see if Blake agrees, because Blake's a little different about things sometimes. We'll have whole lists, and he'll just be completely off the beaten path. But it seems like most people agree it's Bundy, Dahmer, Gacy, and then there's one more. What about you, Blake? Uh, let's see. Dahmer and Gacy for sure. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, i got to represent my women. I've got to represent my women. i got to put wearing us up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> well, I, Eileen Wernos. Okay, I thought yeah. you said Eileen Wernos. I was just making sure. Yeah. And then Dennis Nilsson. Obviously, I'm uh, going. I yeah, BTK. I have some from around the world, and then uh, no, 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 that's not BTK. That's not BTK. Yeah, that's oh, I was thinking. I was thinking about Dennis Rader in my head. Sorry, Dennis Nilsson. That was England. That was London. Uh, and then uh, another one that just to me is just absolutely bloodthirsty in the way that he looked and was approached in the media coverage was a uh, Chikatilo for sure. Mm. Chikatilo from uh, Russia. Yeah, yeah but sure. you got four. You yeah, got that's... four, Blake. <laughs> You're going over. Oh well, isn't there four faces on that? Yeah, but how old? Was, how old was Chikatilo? So how how long ago was Chikatilo? Oh, he just yeah, he really... just died in like the nineties or two thousands. He okay. committed his crimes in the eighties. Yeah, Blake's drunk. He's more drunk than we are. He can't. Even I am not. I'm telling you, there are four faces. There are four faces on Mount Rushmore. Right, you, you picked five though. Yeah, true. But I mean, hey, you got to get I, rid of a Russian or a female, one or the other, or man, or, or Brit. Oh hell, get rid of the Brit. Get rid of the Brit. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck him and his teeth. <laughs> oh God. All right. Uh, yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I agree with Vic and Johnny. You got to go Bundy, you got to go Gacy, and you got to go Dahmer. And I tell you, Bundy's the lady killer. Sheer numbers, celebrity appeal, death row, you know, interviews, all that shit. Bundy's got to be there. Gacy, he was the killer clown. Do we need any more? Well, how about the people like you know hauling bodies from his house? You know, everybody's always going to remember this dude. Kept it is a it is a like urban legend about somebody keeping bodies in their attic because of Gacy. So he's got to be uh, there. there was, oh, yeah, we share that space, common. Right? All of us had uh, Gacy on there, for sure. That was a cross space, though, right? Remember, the, yes. the quote was, you know, he, he shouldn't be convicted of anything other than running a cemetery without a license, right? That was his quote. Was it a morgue or a cemetery? Because <laughs> I've heard both. It was a cemetery. Okay. And then the third one, and I got to agree with you guys, I, because of, maybe it's because I grew up during it, but Dahmer, I feel like, was even though he's not the worst cannibal that ever lived, he's definitely the most well-known. And, and no, they're, put, they're making another movie Fish about him. The worst, I would put Fish yeah. as the worst cannibal. <laughs> but not in the last 50 years. So. No, not in the last but 50 Dahmer, years, yeah. Yeah, but Dahmer's right. the most well-known. And I, I just feel like he should be there. Now, the question is, you know who else should be there, but he's not technically a serial killer, so I can't put him there. And that's Manson. You can't put him there because he's not technically a serial killer, so I won't. Not technically. That's um, right. Shit, man. This is hard because I, I could go with Ramirez. I could go with BTK. I could go with Ridgeway for sheer numbers, but it's so weird that none of us have even mentioned Ridgeway. Nobody gives I'm a in, shit about Ridgeway. He's I so swept Ridgeway into the world. Earlier. I mentioned him earlier. Yeah, but you didn't have him on there. 
Well, that's because I figured y'all were going to have him, and he just seems like one of those, like, I don't know, like, kind of like no die, you know, sort of like, you know, of course, you know, you know I was going to be. Johnny will like this. Johnny will like this. He's a stat collector. <laughs> He's a stat collector, like, like Dan Marino. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He collected stats. He didn't do anything, like, beyond that. That's why, like Blake said, if they find a body now, they just uh, attribute it to him. He's a stat stuffer. That's what Vic well, does. Well, yeah, they're clearing the roles. Come on. They're, they're, they're finding a body and they're clearing the roles. I mean, I mean, they're yep. they're saying what ninety plus or something like that per Ridgeway. So yeah, mm. sure numbers. He was more efficient than most, but no. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the night stalker for the other one. Kemper's a good uh. one. Eileen Wernos is a good one. I gotta go with the night stalker with Vic. I, I think Ramirez is the other one because he had the interviews just like Kemper. But he was also like Kemper didn't really strike fear into everybody during a time period like Ramirez did. He was right up there with those other guys. People scared that you know. They had a lockout well, yeah, tonight. You're right. you're right. I mean, Ramirez definitely did scare, but he was also he was a rapist just as yes, much as he was a, a as a as a murder as a serial killer. So they weren't no they didn't really know what they were tracking at that point, right? Where yeah. you know the Santa Clara killer, which was you know I I granted that's relatively small, um, but uh, and, and relatively isolated. I just sort of like. To me, he was a guy that was known in his community, and he was well liked within his. Even the the, the police liked Kemper, so um, it was a shock to everybody. Much like BKK Killer, like he was a shock to them. They didn't they didn't see that one coming. I, I I view that you know Dennis you know Raider as as, a, as another prototypical one because like I I, I always view the serial killer as the person you're standing behind a, at the at the grocery store. And he's buying, they're buying food and then you don't, then they go home and they kill people. But you never know mm-hmm. that because they're behaving normally or functioning kind of in society. And that's what Ridgeway and that's what uh, Raider and that's what Kemper did. They, they function in society, but had odd hobbies. Yeah. Son of Sam and BTK, they're good alternates along with Eileen Warnos. And then I'd put Kemper right behind them because Kemper, yeah, he's still around. He still does interviews and all that shit, but I just feel like he was kind of under the radar. Whereas that all those, like they have so many documentaries and stuff. Like it sucks when you look up Kemper, there's not a lot of stories about him. There should be. Um, yeah, Johnny has a cool fascination with him, <laughs> which is a good thing. <laughs> I, I, I respect it. I mean, I, yeah, I, don't I have people like too, that. Too. Yeah, for sure. I'm always I've, talking about Kemper. Yeah, I've, 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 I've mailed him many times. I've sent him mail many times to try to strike up a conversation, but nothing yet. So he's not having it. Okay, so Johnny, since you are the serial killer quote of the day guy, you know you got to hit me with some Berkowitz quotes. I'm sure you've got some stashed away for me. Well, I mean. They're not normal. I mean, you've probably heard them all because he he was rather prolific. But you know, things like um, he had some weird ones. who were kind of poetic. I think my one was, was he had the one who said, "In this hole lives the wicked king." I was like, "What does that mean? Like, where's he living there?" <laughs> but um, you know, he had you know the demons wanted my penis. I thought that was a pretty graphic thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to rob her or touch her or rape her. I was just going to kill her. Yeah. Well, that was nice right. of you. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, like he had those ones. I think I, I just 
posted that recently um, on the Facebook one because I figured that was in prep for this. Um, you know, uh, uh, what was the one? Was um, I wasn't going to rob her or touch her. I just wanted to kill her. I was just going to kill right. her, right? And and um, and then it was like the, the the main one I thought was really descriptive, which was it, it happens to be a satisfying. It would happen to be satisfying to get to the source of the blood, right? That was a quote. From yeah. Him. That's how I didn't want to hurt Dexter them. Morgan would say that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I I, I didn't want to hurt them. I only wanted to kill them. Right. That's so nice of him. I just like the way he puts things. <laughs> what about the other one? What about the other one? He said, I always had a fetish for murder and death. It's just a matter of fact. You know? Right. Yeah, that's what he is. Yeah, he just says this shit. Like, it wasn't like a, a Bundy where it was profound or H.H. Holmes where it's like shit that's going to live on forever. But some of the things he said, if you really break it down, it was fucking weird. I what was about, literally saying to myself. Guys? Yeah, he said a clown can get away with murder. Oh, right, and then did <laughs> for a long time. And yeah. So Berkowitz, I was literally singing to myself on my way home after the killing. I mean, and you know what? The fact that he says this, it matches up exactly to what it, the cops said about him in prison. Because once he got put in jail, he ate like a horse and slept like a baby. And he didn't give a shit. At least at first. I mean, I, I know Blake. You know, tends to. Uh, believe him now that, you know, he's grief-stricken over it. I mean, he might be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty matter-of-fact. One of the the quotes was, um, you know, uh, it was just like it should be. You shoot them, and they fall. Or, and they fell. You know, yeah, you're right. Makes sense. You shoot them, and they fell. This this is a new quote, and it's still creepy to me, uh, which is weird. The people in the news media used to call me the son of Sam. And I don't care what anybody says. This is creepy. But God has given me a new name, the son of hope, because now my life is about hope. I don't know why that is, but it's weird Yeah, to that's me. pretty I, creepy, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is to me. I mean, maybe it's because I'm not religious, and I find shit like that very odd. Like, to say that God told you to do shit, like, it's as weird as telling me that Satan told me to do something, you know? Like, I yep. don't know. I I think a lot of times when people say that, they should have their head examined. But then I, I know people, a lot of people who say that that I respect, so I don't know what to think about shit like that. It's just a different world that I'm not privy to, I guess. Oh, well. You know, you were talking about David Berkowitz and keeping a log of all those fires that he kept. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm I'm sitting here looking at uh, pages from his journal going all the way back to, uh, well, I guess this starts April 2nd of 77, and the Mm -hmm. location was 82nd Avenue and 217th Street, and it was, uh, and even has the time listed next to it. I mean, addresses and days, and, like, it is very meticulous, like, who set one on the 26th of May at the river in East 151st Street. I mean, that's very just particular. Over 3,000 journal entries here. Reminds me of John Doe from Seven. Oh, yeah. His, his, this says his records, uh, meticulous record includes the type of equipment responding and weather conditions, too. He's even got it done in, like, military time as well, like... 2,500 hours, you know, 100 hours he committed the first one in, in April, and it just, it's really just elaborate. Just odd. Just really odd. But This is an old book I'm looking at. I've got one of the old Time Life serial killer books from the early 90s, and it's got Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Berkowitz, and Dennis Nilsson in it. It's crazy. Nilsson we got to talk about sometime. 
Yeah, yeah he's well, he's one of the one of the wild cards. A lot of people don't think about. He was actually a police officer for a time. Mm-hmm. Of course, he was. Scotland Yard. Yeah, and he kept them in his like flat, you know, under the floorboards and inside, like sort of like a, I guess sort of like the uh, the uh, thing that's in the line that was in the wardrobe. Like a wardrobe, mm-hmm. he kept bodies hanging in there and stuffed them in the septic system and backed up the whole apartment's fucking plumbing and everybody was pissed off that their plumbing was all jacked up. So the plumber goes down there, opens the lid, and finds a human arm and shit in there and fingers and it's just it's all kind of fucked up. Yeah, I yeah. His quote was, "I I have slain my own dragon." That was the quote from from Dennis Nelson. I remember. And he also had one quote: "It's like I put a head in a pot, popped the lid, and lit the stove." Later, I hit listen to music and had a good drink. <laughs> oh, so, Johnny, no no judgment. Do you have any serial killer quotes up, up on your wall anywhere? Because, I mean, that would be kind of a cool – like, for me, it would be the H.H. The H. Holmes quote, you know, I, I had no, inside me, the whole thing. But I did put out a bunch of T-shirts, serial killer quote T-shirts with, with them, so that counts. <laughs> That's the uh, yeah, my wife my wife brought up a good point, Travis. Have we done a show on Dean Coral yet? Nope, we have not. Um and we, we talked about do doing that. it around Halloween. You, you know, we should make it a double feature if you guys ever decide to talk about another Candyman movie because that's what he was called. Was mm-hmm. Candyman. Yep, that's what I was talking about. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's creepy. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, I can't help it. You know, that's the type of shit that I'm into, man. We all are, apparently. So, no apologies around here. But, Johnny, um, you came in and knocked it out of the park, as always, for us. You lasted with us for hour and a half. Jesus, I don't know how you can tolerate us drunks for that long. And Blake. <laughs> Kill him. Uh, wow. <laughs> there you go. What, what a you know, dick. Blake, you're not drunk. I'm sorry to tell you. I wish you were. No, and I actually had a previous interaction with Johnny. I took over and hosted the Richard Ramirez yes, show. You did. When you were it's fit. when I was dying. I was yeah, dying, and, and I died for like three months after that. And now because you were well a douchebag. Because you were an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that what made me sick. <laughs> yeah, that <and> alcohol. <laughs> All right. Good deal. <laughs> So Johnny, Johnny, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to throw out any plugs you want to throw out for us, because as always, we are here for you and your app and everything else. That's cool, man. Um, so you know, it's just the book I have up on Amazon, on paperback, and on uh, Kindle. It's the serial killer quote of the day. So I guess that's the only thing I'm going to be plugging. You doing anything new at all with that, or is it just kind of the you know business? It's still as usual? there. I'm still there. I mean, um, we have the Facebook page that's constantly updated, and, and I'm always getting more more quotes. In fact, a local uh, there was a local um, story out of Philly. I don't know if it got nationwide coverage. I thought it did. Um, this guy Cosmos Dinardo, um, he killed four kids and um, four guys uh, and buried them in, and burned them in his, on his parents' farm. And even though it didn't span a month, um, it, it did span a number of days. Like he lured them up there and he killed them and, and such. So we have a new serial killer, I guess, I, guys uh, in, in here that I'm probably going to get some quotes from. And I'm trying to contact him to get some interviews. So that's where I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Hey, I'm I'm all for that. Hey, let me ask you a question before you head out. 
Is there any serial killer? And we've talked about Berkowitz, Zodiac. I mean, the the big hitters, but we haven't talked about you know BTK or Dennis Nilsson mm-hmm. or Eileen Warnos or uh, there's a couple more. Is there anybody that we haven't talked about that you really want to talk about at some point? Because you know we'll always have you on when you want to be. Well, I mean, you talk about um, you know I think that you talked about uh, Chikatilo. I thought. Yeah. That guy was yeah. a pretty prolific killer and he was scary. He looked like he looked like the Russian version of Panzram. Like if you saw him you were probably dead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh I think he's a pretty, pretty compelling dude to talk about. And BTK killer I think is also a really pretty compelling thing to talk about. Yay, somebody liked something I said. Awesome. Because I'm the one that talked about this <laughs> killer for sure. I like that. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh very cool. Well, Johnny, hey, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it, and I always appreciate you being available for us when when you are. Hey, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, man. Until next time. All right. Take care. And Johnny came in, kicked ass as always. It was a good show for him because he's closest to the area, the scene of the crime than we are, you know. Uh, Blake's in Tennessee. What, what did Vic say you were? The middle of uh, the boonies, Nashville? Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> What city are you in in Nash or in Tennessee now? Oh man, I'm man. If I tell you that, there's gonna be people all over my ass. But I, I live in Portland. I'm not in. I'm okay. about four. I'm about forty-five minutes away from Nashville. Thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. Excuse me. Okay. South or north or west or east? Do you know? Because uh, I don't look at maps very often. But I was just. Curious. I can't. T- I can't tell you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know shit like that either, so I'm no better. Y'all have to come in. You know what? I'm actually only uh, 10, 18 minutes from Franklin, Kentucky, and then another 30 from Bowling Green. So I'm very close to you guys. Very cool. Very now, oh, Blake, so I, I don't know if you're going to have time next week, but if you get the opportunity, next week we're talking about uh, Deranged uh, from 1974. Well, are we, Vic? That's next week, right? Oh, yeah. Or are we going to do that at the end of the month? I no, we're talking about Scream next week. We're finally in doing Scream. <laughs> we're finally doing Scream. And then deranged okay, at cool. the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do Scream okay. next week for the first time. Finally. It's okay. only been forever. But since you're okay. a West Craven guy, I thought you might want to come on if you get the opportunity. If not, we understand. So, uh, I will is there do my best Tuesday, want? right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, as you said, is there anything else? What? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. That you wanted to throw out? That you wanted to throw out? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, you can always hit me up on Facebook. I've got an author page. I'm working on a new book, which is a creature horror thing about the uh, legendary Loch Ness Monster and how, you know, bloodthirsty that creature really is and all that. I like it. On, I love Yeah, I wanted to do a creature monster. book. I had a lot of people wanting a sequel to the first book, and I left them with a cliffhanger. I don't know if I'll ever do a, a sequel to The Within, but I've had somebody ask me to do a, a Freddy Krueger book, like a sequel book, and I just kind of looked at him. I was like, were you unaware of everything that's just happened the past, like, five months? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can do it. I just can't do shit with it. Thanks, New Yeah, man. I mean, I can always release it for free, you know, whatever. You know, I, hey, whatever. But uh, like I said, I'm going to get y'all's copy in the mail. I just have the one, and I kind of got it, like, a, you know, for you guys, and you're in the... Uh, you guys and the show and Jer are mentioned in the acknowledgments of that. So it'll be cool to see your name in print, huh? <laughs> yep, yep, but, uh, for sure. Yeah, just hit me up on my Facebook page. And uh, I don't know if you guys are still a part of that Freddy group, the one that I started. I mean, Elm Street. Last yeah, Friday, I haven't seen anything from in a while, but I am still in there. Cool. Well, those two ways are pretty, you know, easy ways to get in contact with me. And uh, 
that's pretty much what I do. You know, I don't really give my personal Facebook out too much. I, you know, had some people, like, giving me some trouble. So I kind of just, like, I don't accept friend requests, like, on that page really anymore. I, but you can stop by the author page and say hi. I'm always on there. Sounds good, man. Well, Blake, you're the man. I appreciate you coming in, as always. And then we'll maybe talk to you next week if you're available. If not, then we'll talk. Hey, we're doing the whole Scream series, so if you come back, you know, for any of those shows, we'll be here. I think that I can make it happen as long as I know about it in in time. I think I can do it. You said it is next Tuesday or the following Tuesday? Uh, Next Tuesday. And at the end of the month, uh, before Deranged, we're doing Gainesville Ripper also. Oh wow! Okay, wow. That's a wow. That's gonna be a this is gonna be a cool cool month. I like it. Well, that's what Scream was inspired by on some level. So we got to talk about Gainesville Ripper, you know. True. Absolutely. All right. So Blake, we will talk to you later, or you can hang around whatever you want. Because I got to get Vic to talk now that he's drunk. He wanted to do what grinds my gears this week, which is funny because uh, it's usually me bitching about stuff. I want I'll Vic stick to bitch. around for that if y'all want me to. I haven't. We yeah, haven't done what grinds your gears in forever. Go ahead, Vic. I, I can always go last because no, I like listening to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Vic. I want to hear it. <laughs> oh, hold on. What the fuck? Anyway. So that's a that's a good show, fellas. I I had uh I've been drinking a little tonight. Well see anyway. it's a good thing I talk because I've been drinking a lot more if I didn't talk. I would have been you know what I mean? Yeah, that was yeah. like whenever we had uh John Wayne Gacy's childhood friend on there and I was just fucking tore up the whole time he was talking. <laughs> I remember. That's that's a good show. We didn't do anything most of the time. Yep. It it was stupid. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I'm having I'm having issues lately with uh, 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 the whole suicide thing. I'm having issues with it. Oh you know, shit! Here we go. That, that douchebag just hung. That douchebag just hung himself. Remember that? Well, yeah, I do. First of all, let me go ahead and tell everybody: suicide has affected me close. I lost one of my best friends to suicide. I have him tattooed on me. And I'm still fucking pissed off at him for doing it. I'm mad. Um, everybody wants to go with this whole fucking mental illness bullshit. Fuck that, man. You're you're fucking selfish. Don't fucking do it. I'm st- I'm mad at Kurt Cobain for killing himself. If he did, if he's not, then I'm not so mad. But I, like, why? What's the point? I don't give a fuck, dude. I've been through some shit in my life. I. I don't talk about, like, half the shit that goes on in my head. I used to put it out in music. Um, and honestly, in my opinion, if you if you fucking take your own life, then you're just a selfish-ass coward, and I got no use for you. And like I said, one of my best friends killed himself. I loved him to death, but I'm fucking mad at him. I'm pissed off. I think about it every day. And if you're doing it, and if you're... you're you got fucking six kids, you're going to fucking kill yourself? Like, what kind of fucking douchebag is this? this fucking, what's his name? Chester Benningfield? Fuck him. Fuck any... Dude. I, I'm sorry, Blake. I know you like... I, I understand, but fuck it, dude. The oh, I, I, you're entitled to your opinion, man. I don't... As somebody that's had problems and experienced, you know, abuse like I had over the years, I have, I've had thoughts, and like I said, I you know, got treatment for this stuff. And I understand that sometimes you feel like that's your only, 
your only way out. And yeah, it, it could be argued that it's a chemical imbalance. It could be argued this, that, and the other. But Chris Cornell, uh, who is in the same vein as you know Cobain and Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, you know he was part of that movement. And you know, so it's like I've noticed that these artists you know, are able to make so many people happy, but they themselves can't be happy. And it just, it's really sad to me because, um, you know, they they blame Cornell's death on that Ativan shit. He was taking Ativan and took too many doses of it. And, and like most antidepressants, sometimes it can cause you to have what they call suicidal ideation, meaning it impairs your thinking and makes you think that maybe that's reasonable when normally you wouldn't because he also had kids. And believe it or not, Chester Bennington hung himself on Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. Yeah, and, like, and I mean, not just them. Like, fucking Robin Williams, who I fucking love. I love the goddamn death. And then he bullshit. And then, like, I, I can still watch his shit, but I fucking hate him for it. I'm mad at him. I'm mad at Chris Benoit. I'm mad at any fucking... I'm mad at my fucking friend in high school that shot himself. Well, man, I mean, I get it. You can be upset because you feel like they've done a disservice to themselves and the people they've built relationships with. I get that. I understand. But, I mean, as far as uh, Robin Williams, man, he, he was sick anyway. He had really body dementia. He, he, They said he probably wasn't in his right mind any damn way. And the same with uh, Benoit, if, if you believe that the uh, steroids or the brain damage caused it, it, it doesn't. It's not their fault that they think that way. It just impairs their thinking to where that's an option, you know, if that was the case, if it was brain damage. Because that, then you have people argue in the wrestling space. I'm like, wrestling might be scripted, but those accidents and shit that happened to the people ain't fake because I watched Darren Drawsdott get paralyzed, the, the match mm-hmm. that paralyzed him, you know. So well, I, to be fair, to be fair, being wild, he, I mean, he killed himself after he killed his family, so he didn't like leave uh, his family behind. So he's a piece of shit anyway. I mean, like, Ashton Wall is my favorite wrestler ever, but he's a piece of shit, and I don't want to hear the ex- – I, I hate the fact that people make excuses. You cannot tell me that, you know – and I know Blake's not doing that, but, like, People and their excuses for Benoit, we've been over this. And I mean, look, I get that he was fucked up in the head, but there's all sorts of people fucked up in the world in their head, you know, from wrestling. But they ain't going to kill their family. Mick Foley, I guarantee you, is more fucked up than Benoit was, and he hadn't killed anybody. So it can't be just that. He was a piece of shit, and he apparently it proved it, you know. And so the, But to get back to what Vic was saying – I agree 100% with Vic, and maybe it's this whole thing, like somebody will say, well, you haven't dealt with mental illness. No, I haven't, but you know what I do understand, and Blake does too, even if he's dealt with mental illness. He has kids, I have kids, and I'll be goddamned if anything's going to make me kill myself, except for my kids, something happening to him. As far as I know, he still has six kids. He didn't give a fuck. He still killed himself. That is, they always call uh, suicide the ultimate, um, you know, selfish act. What more can it be called at that point? You've got six kids and you're killing yourself? I have no respect for you. None. Well, and I mean, like I said, I I understand both of your points of view. And like I said, I was treated for mine. And, and, you know, there were times when I, you know, there were times when that seemed like a reasonable option. But I tried to prevail. I tried to use my faith and my belief as to what would happen to me if I did that and where all the people that I love have died and gone. And the idea of not being with the people that I love because of a selfish decision that I made has has powered me through the darkest times, 
you know, because I just want to be here. I mean, my kids, I look at them, and I and I shudder to think what life would be like for them without me here, even though, you know, our kids get on our nerves. If something happened to you or something happened to me or something happened to Vic and we all had kids, our kids would be totally just, they, they would be just, they, they'd be yeah. traumatized. They would, and they'd be lost, and I just that's why I cannot imagine a world like that. So, you know, what's interesting is what's going forward. you got all these people folks posting you know you know if if you think you need help blah 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 and i'm not even criticizing that um, I, did. I, I, I do feel like that. i damn sure did. yeah yeah <laughs> and i don't have a problem with people posting that because they're trying to save their friends lives i get that i understand that they're doing everything they can for someone else i understand that um i mean i have my own opinions about the people that have actually done it but it's like I mean, at what point are we going to start locking people up in, in, in an insane asylum that we think are suicidal? Because really, if like okay, like these kids in high school are getting are killing themselves and stuff, people are going to start getting locked up more frequently when they're you know when there's um, the idea that they might commit suicide. I, I'm just being real. Tell me if I'm full of shit, but I'm telling you, like, if this continues in this pattern, people are going to start getting locked up more frequently for their own protection. Well, like I said, I just experienced. I know y'all saw it when I was when I was signed and I was touring the country with my metal band. There was a young kid I met at a show, and he ended up being real close to my sister and dating my sister. Well, he committed suicide July eighth, and I didn't go to the I didn't go to the funeral because I just there was no way for me to go. I couldn't, you know, with what I was doing and you know all that. Mm-hmm. It's just man, it. That's the second. That's the second person that I've known that that during my time as a musician that I used to come to shows, and now to think that both of those guys are dead, and he was only twenty five years old. It just it's heartbreaking. I mean, he didn't have any kids, but I mean, he was he dated my sister. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was it was rough. And I, of course, I posted. If you need help, reach out. I don't mind. I'm not going to criticize you for it. You're reaching out. You're acknowledging you have a problem, and you're trying to keep yourself from doing something like that. And you reach out. I don't I hate you for that. I'm not mad at you. I'm I'm, I'm mm-hmm. happy that you're you're acknowledging that there's a problem. Yeah. You know, and it just it's just a shame that it's happening so frequently again. And somebody made a joke about it, which I thought was in terrible taste. But I understand what they were saying. They said, "Well, we've lost Cobain, Staley." Scott Weiland and Chris Cornell. Somebody better be guarding and watching Eddie Vedder's ass, you know, yeah. because he's the last of that. Uh, unless you can count Mud Honey or you know any of those yeah. guys. Yeah, he's the last of the big '90s grunge guys, and it just—I don't know. It's it's rough, man. And then all this public suicide, public murder. Like the guy that shot the guy on Facebook, and then this woman the other day she posted a video of. Yeah, she posted a video, dude, of a car wreck in which her sister lay on the ground, blood spilling out of her head, dying. And she's on Facebook Live or Instagram, posting videos talking about, "I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, sis, but you know, your dad, you know, we're gonna have to move on. But I'm going down for this. I'm going down, you know." And I'm like, "You mother, you asshole! You're using social media to capitalize on something fucking horrific." That's the next trend, I think. We're gonna get a serial killer that kills by posting on Facebook Live and has some way to evade police, and they're just going to post at random points different people that they're killing. I mean, Scream 4 kind of sort of yes. hit that, and yeah. I think that's for real. I think that that's going to happen. They just have to be it. 
they just have to be smarter than Steve Stevens because his dumb ass couldn't get away with it for more than a few days. And then he went out like a pussy. So we've had a fun discussion about murder. We've had a fun discussion. Well, maybe not a fun discussion, but an interesting discussion about suicide. And yep. I'm telling you guys, I, I thought it was enjoyable. I enjoyed the whole show this week. Um, a lot of times, you know, some of these things are so well-known and so publicized that it's even hard to talk about because it's like, yeah, everybody knows that. But I feel like we brought up some things that maybe aren't commonly known about Berkowitz on a Sam. And we we mentioned our Mount Rushmore's. Vic got to get that off his chest. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I completely understand. Now, granted, I don't have it touching my life too much, but I'd be pretty damn pissed off if somebody in my life did it too. So... We'll leave it at that for this week. We'll be back next week with Scream. Uh, Vic, do you have anything you need to throw out before I throw out our plugs? Nah, man. I'll see you all next week. It was a good show. I enjoyed it, and fuck everybody else. If you want to tweet Vic, you can do so at Vic Von Eric. If you want to tweet me, at PhenomenalTLD. Blake, are you even still on Twitter? Yeah, I'm Elm Street Brat on Twitter. You can find me there. Damn brat. All right. TravisVicHorror.wordpress.com. Uh, Facebook, you can just look up Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. We're on YouTube also, I think. I don't think they've shut us down yet. We'll be we'll be back next week talking Scream. Um, yeah, and if you guys haven't listened to our Starved Rock Murder episodes, um, it's time to uh, get clued in and learn a little bit about Starved Rock. But as far as that goes, everybody, I want to thank you again. Johnny, Blake, Vic, Travis, we're out. Later on, y'all.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.